Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's time for the match review. Newcastle beat Norwich 3-0 down at Carroll Road. A lovely sunny day for those fans who made the trip. We're going to look back on a victory that takes Newcastle up to ninth in the Premier League. I'm joined by Aaron Stokes. Aaron, when I say that, I still can't quite believe it. Ninth in the Premier League. After the way this season begun, after the way up to the new year was, ninth in the Premier League. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Well, it's it's just an absolute miracle to believe. You know, they've all got nosebleeds at Newcastle. They're that high in the table for the first time this season. But yeah, all well, jokes aside, it's been a fantastic sort of last couple of months. The the turnaround from that first four months of the season, where you know we were all sort of sat at Christmas thinking this is sort of feels like a McLaren or a or a season where they're going to go down and yeah like you say the boys have just done fantastic the last couple of months to turn it round and I mean have they left it a bit too late for a European push I don't know but I think anybody would have snapped your hand off for 17th a couple of months ago never mind nine so. and when you look at Norwich bottom of the league fighting for their lives they're pretty much down to the championship yet again but it was a kind of a banana peel game. And I think in previous seasons and the previous managers, many Castle United fans would have looked at this and, and there would have been a little bit of fear because whereas most sides kind of just step over the peel and Newcastle had a tendency and the previous managers to step directly on the peel and fl- fall flat on their backsides. Whereas here, uh, I don't look at any game. Like, I'm not fearing this game against Liverpool. It, you know, they're the best side in the league or the Manchester City but I'm not dreading it and it's the same when you get a banana peel game like this one against Norwich I went into it thinking you know what Newcastle are going to are going to win and if, and if they lose I don't think they're going to lose you know out of their own silly mistakes or anything it's probably just going to be a brilliant performance by Norwich but you know I didn't fear that they were going to get beat against Norwich I don't fear they're going to embarrass themselves against Liverpool and I think it's just this kind of Eddie Howe effect that He's galvanised not just the players, but the fan base, and they do feel confident going into to most games. Yeah, 100%. I think in previous seasons, if that fixture had been played, and Norwich are, obviously they look like they're down now, but they're still, in, you know, we're fighting for survival. Newcastle, absolutely safe, you know, nothing really to play for. You could have easily seen Norwich, you know, turning them over, and sort of a holiday-type performance from the players, but Eddie Howe's drilled it into them that, you know, he doesn't want this run to end. The longer they can keep it going, you know, the better it'll be for the summer and beyond. And I think it was telling in his post-match interview that he said, I think his words were something along the lines of, this team is like, you know, they really want to win. And I think that's evident, you know, I don't think that there's going to be a time between now and the end of the season where they put their feet up on the beach. I think they are going to give it a good go. And obviously they've got Liverpool and, and City in the next two, which will be trickier than the run they've had in recent weeks. But yeah, it it was a banana peel and you know, Norwich started well and they could have, you know, easily been one or two up with some decent chances in the first half, but you know, Newcastle, this new and improved, this just complete chalk and cheese side from what we've seen in recent seasons, you know, the heads didn't go down. They soon, you know, took control of the game and obviously it was basically out of sight by half time. So you know, credit again to Howe for instilling this this feeling in the dressing room that, you know, they can't just sort of put their feet up now and there's still work to be done. Well, a lot of the players have got their future to fight for and we saw with four changes, we saw Lascelles come in, Jacob Murphy, Sean Longstaff and Joe Willick. You would say the first three I mentioned there are all fighting for the futures, especially Longstaff, you know, he needs that new contract. And it was really pleasing to see that those players that came in didn't let Eddie Howe down, didn't let the travelling fans down, didn't let the fans here on Tyneside down. And they made a really good show 
of themselves. On Longstaff, I'm just wondering how easy it is or how difficult it is. Might be a better question for him to to really focus on on getting that contract when he knows that even if he's offered a new deal and Eddie Howe has come out and said he wants his long-term future to be here at Newcastle, but even if Longstaff gets that, he knows there's at least, you would say, two, if not three, maybe even four players ahead of him in that midfield role. And that's even before you consider the fact that they're very likely to go for another high-quality midfielder in the summer. Yeah, it's going to be tricky for him and, and you do have to feel for Longstaff because... On his day and when he's firing and he's has a run of games and he's fit, you know, he is. You know, fans do like him and he's he does fit into the side. His pressing's good. He's, you know, maybe he's a bit safe with the ball, but he's but he's a decent player and he's a, you know he's got a decent level. But you do have to wonder whether he's going to be thinking if I sign this new deal, like you say, Bruno's not going to be moved out of that team. Shelby probably isn't going to be moved out of that team. You're going to have Matty coming back and he'll be up for fighting for it. Hayden potentially could come back. You've got Joel Linton who, you know, even though he was in attack the other day, is is looking comfortable in midfield. And then, as you say, they've got money to spend this summer. You know, the likes of Lucas Paqueta or anything could come in. Longstaff should, might be thinking, you know, I could I could move, get quite a decent deal elsewhere at a sort of mid-table Premier League team and be playing week in, week out. You know, it wasn't too long ago that he was being linked with the likes of Watford and Everton and once upon a time Man United. I think that ship's probably sailed, but... He's got something to think about, and I think it'll probably come down to how, you know, how he sees his future. If it does, he just want to be a bench player at, you know, his boy boyhood club, or is he going to want to go away and and actually play week in week out at a, a decent level? Because it's difficult, isn't it? Because he's not actually getting that many minutes. If he was, you compare it to maybe Miggy, who hasn't started too many games. Obviously, that, that you know, recently he's, he's had his, his fair share because of the injury to Ryan Fraser, but he was still getting moments off the bench. Whereas Sean Longstaff isn't getting that many moments off the bench. It's not even like he's playing a big part in what's happening. He is essentially just keeping the bench warm. And for a young player, he is at a crossroads now. As a Newcastle United fan, he's gonna be he's gonna to want to be part of this journey, the same as Jacob Murphy is. But, you know, they're players with very short careers. You know, we forget that that if career in football isn't overly long. So if you have a real ambition to have a, a you know, a captain full of medals, you know, I, it's difficult, isn't it? Like, see, they're going to be part of that journey, but it all comes down to what he wants to achieve in his career. I look, I, I think he, he adds something to the squad. As we've mentioned, he's a he's a decent player, but you just do fear from his perspective that they will be looking to add a higher quality in the summer, and if not the summer, the January, the summer after that, and it's going to be really difficult for him to to hold down a, a starting eleven place. Yeah, hundred percent. And and as you touched on at the start, he, he he hasn't been getting a lot of minutes, and he has struggled with injuries. And we don't really know how much that injury, you know, two three seasons ago against West Ham really did affect him. Because obviously there was comparisons with Declan Rice, and it seems like since then he's just he hasn't quite reached the potential we all thought he would have. Also, you've got to, you've got a fact in the takeover. Obviously, you know, at the start of this season, you could have easily made a case that it would have been him, Shelby, and Hayden starting in the midfield three. Joe Litton all of a sudden has became this midfield maestro. Bruno's came in and is now the first name on the team sheet. So that automatically drops the places in the midfield from three to one. Willix came in and like you say, are they going to sign to win the summer? So it comes down to what he wants to do in the end of the day. Obviously, any any Newcastle United fan's going to want to be along for this journey, but does there come a point where he thinks, you know, I'm fifth or sixth choice here. It's, it's time to move on for the sake of my career. It would be a shame if he went because I, I like Longstaff and 
you know, he's an honest player and he's and he, he is liked by fans. But you know, see what he chooses in the summer. Most certainly, and the other person in the same boat, essentially, even though you know he's not in need of a new deal, is Jacob Murphy, another Newcastle United fan who's going to want to be part of you know what is happening here at St James's Park. And you know, he's he's a decent player. I'm a big fan of Murphy. He's got his critics. The end product isn't always there. We saw a bit of that against Norwich on Saturday, but again, I think he didn't do himself any harm. You know, yes, he didn't score, but he, you know, he had a hand in the in the first two goals. He he has got something about him, and I can, I can see him staying this summer and having a chance, even if it's just to play a small part coming off the bench, but having a chance to really prove himself under Eddie Howe. I think it it's going to be difficult for Murphy because you know once Fraser's back and Almiron looks like he might have be sort of playing his way in a contention going forward. Again, like this thing with Longstaff, if a £50 million winger comes in and you've got Alan St. Maximum on one side and this new signing on the other, it you know it just drops them further down the pecking order. Murphy's the same as Longstaff. He'll want to be here, he'll want to be here for the journey. But I said this about Almond and I'll say it about Murphy, I just feel like the end product is going to be his downfall because he gets in the right positions all the time. But there was a couple of chances in the first half against Norwich where he was fluffing it wide and you're thinking, you know, a lot of players would be scoring that chance. But look, I mean, I've been saying this about Almiron and I feel like I've jinxed him. So hopefully, saying this, Murphy's going to, you know, score You've jinxed him in a good way though. Yeah, yeah he went in. jinxed him in a good way. I was saying that Miggy never scores. You've kick-started him. Exactly. I'm taking credit for Miggy's performance the other night. So hopefully, come Saturday afternoon when we're talking about it, Murphy will score the winner. So... Murphy's a tricky one. I like him again. You know, there's not many of this group that I don't like, to be honest. They're all they all seem like such a good group of players, um, under a great manager. So any of them I think it'll be a shame to go. Do you think it weighs on their mind even more, you know, Longstaff and, and, and Murphy, because they are Newcastle United fans and they can see what's happening here, you know. If they weren't if they were like working in the supermarket they'd be they'd be going for a season ticket you know they'd be getting ready to come out in the summer that they already didn't have a ticket to make sure they are in their next season you know you strip everything away the money you know the wealth the the talent they've got they're just Newcastle United fans at heart do you think that weighs heavily on their mind when they know that their future is most definitely up in the air yeah I think it will and I think it adds obviously a bit of pressure to them and supporting the club adds even more knowing that they might not be there next season but it's about how they respond to that and I think, you know, Longstaff seems like the type of person where he'd be, you know, he'd back himself to to be in that team. I think he thinks he's good enough. You know, Murphy's maybe a little bit more confident, shy, but again, on his day, he can be a good player. We just need to see it a bit more. But again, it's easy for me to sit here and say, oh, Longstaff might think I could go elsewhere. But at the same time, it's not that easy, you know. He's supported this club all his life. He was in the team. You know, he thinks he can be in the team. So it's a big dilemma for both of them, but I think it I think it definitely, definitely weighs on their mind hundred percent. I think it's only natural and, and they're only human hundred percent. Gives them something to work towards yeah, definitely. And, you know, and no doubt that it it pushes them that little bit further and fingers crossed they can step up to the challenge. I think both have to a certain level. Um we'll talk about them Murphy chances. It was a long ball over the top and he, he kind of volleyed it just wide didn't he? It was a it was a difficult chance and then you had for Julian in the second way he went on, on goal and he kinda of scuffed it thankfully fell into Julian's path it is just that end product isn't it you know he's just I, th- I just think he needs a goal mm-hmm. just needs a goal and whether it comes off his backside or one of them delicate little chips he keeps trying it doesn't really matter at this point just get a goal 
get one this Saturday against Liverpool and just go on this hopefully this run towards the end of the season and, and really state his case. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think as we were saying with Almiron on a couple of weeks ago, it's that it's those sliding doors moment and if Almiron scored against Huddersfield and Willick, you know, he when he came in, you know, he came in for twelve million pounds, which was a you know, quite a hefty fee from Norwich and he ne- he's never really had that goal scoring part of his game at Newcastle and we haven't seen him as like a prolific goal scorer. So you wonder whether he's another one that it, because it's never worked for him, he's now finding it hard to, to you know, to, to do, shit the, that do off. the business. Yeah, yeah, because he gets in all the right positions, Murphy, and we saw twice, as you mentioned, in the first half against Norwich, he gets himself in brilliant goal scoring positions and then sort of like Joel and before Saturday, he sort of just at the last minute loses that sort of confidence. Clinical edge. Yeah, that clinical edge. And you obviously it's probably going to be weighing on his mind that he, he hasn't he, you know, hasn't scored in a while and, and all that. But yeah, as we keep saying, I just feel like if he had that score and touch or he went on a bit of a run, he could easily be one that you could see playing his way into contention. But until that happens, it's he's always going to have that talk about his future, I think. And we're going to make a big claim here and listeners, everything block my podcast and come back to me in 15 years and tell me I was wrong, but I think I'm going to be right. When I hear Jacob Murphy talk, he's done a few cracking interviews with Dan King, who is the Newcastle United media man. I just think he sounds like a manager. So like the things he comes out with, I just think, you know what? I can see him being in the dugout, not necessarily maybe Newcastle, but I think, right, you can, you can, uh, you know, quote me on this. I think he's going to be a manager when he's older. Uh, older, that sounds like I'm, you know, he's very young at the moment. <laughs> when he's finished uh, playing, and uh, he's going to be a good one, I think. He's, uh, he just certainly speaks well. And you, you talk about him being aware of not scoring goals, and you know, he, in the last interview, he did he was very aware of that? And but he's just enjoying him, his, his time. And I think he's one of those who is rising to the challenge. And um, like I say, fingers crossed. I hope he has got a future at Newcastle. Um, let's talk about Joe Linton then. Two goals. The first goal was a really nice bit of play, wasn't it? You know, the, the little back heel by Murphy to Kraft gives it back to, to Murphy, feeds it into the box, and Maxman tries to find Longstaff and it just falls to Joe Linton, who absolutely just rockets it into the top corner. A brilliant strike. Just some power behind it, but it was just a really nice, you know, team goal. A really nice team goal, yeah, and, and something that I think we're going to come to see quite a lot of under how, especially when Bruno's in the midfield, but... Jolin, I mean, he just looked like a different player on on Saturday. And look, I am so I'm so happy that he is the man that's actually pulling the strings in midfield. He's got his first ever brace for Newcastle on Saturday. Could not be happier because of what he's you know had to go through since he came to this club. And you know, Alan Shearer made a great point in match of the day the other night. He's never hidden away from it. You know, he's came over, he's he's from South America, he's came over from Germany, he's £40 million, nothing's gone right for him. He could have easily said, oh, I want to go, or, oh, you know, I'm... After that FA Cup game, yeah. when he got absolutely slaughtered. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's easy to forget, he's had this brilliant run for six months, but I remember when we first signed him, I mean, obviously this is a couple of seasons ago, and the abuse that he used to get, people liking him are the worst ever signing that they've seen for Newcastle. And you look back and you think, well, I mean, he, he was he was obviously struggling at the start but was he ever that bad it's hard to remember that price tag isn't it the price tag doesn't help the number nine shirt doesn't Mm -hmm. help it takes a very special character to carry the weight of that shirt and you know Callum Wilson is one of those you know but you look back at the likes of you know Mickey Quinn and and, you know just it takes a special kind of character and that sometimes can 
can mean more than, than the actual talent you've got. But you're right, it's it, it's brilliant to see him hitting the back of the net. He's just become this force, which is, and we, I mentioned this on the podcast with uh, John Gibson last week, you know, he's now part of that conversation going forward, who can start in midfield. And we're talking about maybe the arrival of Paqueta in the summer, but if you look around, you know, there's now limited spaces in that midfield because how clearly likes John Joe Shelby, Joe Willick is performing well. Joe Linton has forced himself into the picture, but already before you get a new new body in, one of them has to drop out because Bruno's not going anywhere because he's been absolutely fantastic. So I'm just really pleased to see Joe Linton's form continue. And, and I think we're now, we're past the stage where you go, oh, it was a six-month fiery run. I, I, I think we're past that stage now. I think, you know, he's... He's just found something, whether it is the arm of Howe, who's, who's, you know, whatever he said to him, however he's working with him, whatever it is, maybe it is his personal situation with now he's got family over here, whereas before he didn't have, you know, he's settled, he's speaking English as well. He spoke on Match of the Day, wasn't it? I think that's the first time I've, I've really heard him, in, you know, speak English in an interview, which will help as well with the communication. And I think there's just, everything's just clicking and it's just wonderful to see. Oh, it's amazing to see. And... You say there about the midfield and you and you you bang on about those slots and about him forcing himself into the picture. But how amazing will it be next season if Howe is equally comfortable putting him in midfield or sticking him out on the left yeah. in attack? Because I'll be honest, I saw that team sheet come out on Saturday and sort of thought, Oh, he's moved, you know, he's moved him back into attack. Really? You know, after all those good performances in midfield, was that the right move? And you know, he's certainly proved me wrong. So, yeah, if he can continue the, doing that going forward and prove that it wasn't a blip, then, you know, happy days. Eddie Howe was asked about Joe Litton after the game and how he fits in. I'm just going to read you the quotes now from Howe. And he said, I'm very open-minded. I think Joe can play anywhere in those front positions and obviously as an attacking midfielder as well. Um I would never say that his position that's his position and where he's going to stay. Today he showed his versatility and the importance of his role in the team. He can play as a centre forward, he can play as a second striker, he can play wide, he can play as an eight, so it's great to have players like that. I wish I had a few more. I mean, first of all, that last sentence, could you imagine if saying that at the turn of the year? <laughs> but he's he's right, he's so versatile. But I do think we're now at the stage where it's, it has to be very delicate because he's performed so well as that kind of Patrick Vieira kind of type in midfield. And if you move him into a position where he doesn't look too comfortable, I mean, look, I wrote a piece where I said he didn't look too comfortable out on the left in the last stages of Crystal Palace. He gans and scores two against Norwich. So that he obviously read that piece and thought, I'm going to stick it you to Andrew Musgrove. <laughs> so um, well done there, Joel Linton. But I, I do think we're at a stage where it's 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 finally in the balance because I think if you put him somewhere and it doesn't work, and even if it doesn't work for a few games, three or four or five games, how bad does that affect his confidence? Because I think he is a confidence player. And I think as soon as he goes on a bad run of form, that's when we're going to really find out the test of character, not just him, but Eddie Howe's skills as a manager, the coaching staff. Yeah, but so it, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. It is an interesting one. I think if I was Howe and what I would probably be doing is trying to keep him in midfield as much as I can. But I think it's good having that option to, you know, if you want to drop Chris Wood and Wilson isn't available, or you want to drop Maxi and Fraser isn't fit or something, that you have him as a viable option going forward and you aren't just sticking him there for the sake of it. If he can continue to prove that 
he can play in that position, then, I mean, like I've said, he, what a boost that'll be for Howe to have him in those sort of two different areas of the pitch. Mm. And second goal against Norwich, you know, again, six months ago, a year ago, that probably would have ended up in the side netting over the bar, but he was just calm, puts it in. And the, the celebrations were well. They were kind of mute in many ways. It was like he couldn't quite believe it. And then, obviously, at the end of the game, he goes out and they're serenading him uh, with, with the, 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 you know, his Brazilian song. He just... I. I it, it, it's easy for us to sit here and say, look, I think he's genuinely touched by it because, of course, footballers are going to play up to fans and it's, you know, we don't know actually what they're thinking. But I think sometimes you can you, you can genuinely see where it's when someone is actually just touched by the love and affection of of the of what they're getting from the fans. And I think Julian is one of those and you can just see by his reaction, you know, his hand was kind of on his heart, punched in the air. And again, just, he's got... It, 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 it's amazing the city and see he's got this special relationship with the fans, considering where again he was six months ago. But I think that's what makes it even better is because everybody had written him off. There was nobody that said let's move into midfield, and there was nobody that says let's just give him time. He'll eventually get there. John Gibson of- will argue, as listeners know, that he was the first person to to write he should be tried in midfield. Mm. Maybe how read read the column there. <laughs> but I think that's what makes it so special. And there's a brilliant video which was captured by Luke Vinton from the Newcastle United media team on Saturday. And it was Jolton just stood in the middle of the pitch by himself with the full away and chanting his name. And I think when you look at when Bruno came in, Bruno hadn't even played a minute for Newcastle and he was already being sang. And he was coming out of interviews abroad and saying, the fans love me already. For Jolinton, it's the complete opposite. He's been vilified and booed and blah, blah, blah. And now he's one of the fans' favourite. He's got his own chant. He's got the banners. He's got the Jolinton shirts. He does generally look like he's touched by it. And I think that's just what makes it even better. The fact you can tell that he's really, really does feel it. And like he really is appreciative of it. So long may it last. He's, he's, he's been absolutely brilliant. And the fact that he, he's come down from such a level that where, where he was in terms of not just kind of the thought where he was in the thought of Newcastle United fans because yes he did get abused and some of it was totally over the top but I think the, con- the, the some of the criticism was, was, was very fair look he, he wasn't this £40 million striker wasn't helped by the fact he was signed as a, a striker and he definitely wasn't but you know and the level of performance as well didn't quite match the the expectation so to, to, to come from from that them two situations to where he is now is a, is another sign of just what a, what a good character he really is and why it probably means all that more to him and Newcastle fans in a way to see him shining now. We'll move on to the man that you've just mentioned there, Bruno Gamaresh. Another fantastic display by him. He's just on another level. No surprise to see uh, European reports of Real Madrid interested in him. I'm confident he's going nowhere. Because he has just been unbelievable, and every uh, every game that he plays, he just does something even more special. I know Norwich City are down; they're not the greatest side in the world, but he just had another fantastic game. You know, he scores the goal, but he's just picking the ball up, the passes. So for John Linton's second, the pass down to Murphy, absolutely fantastic pass that. You know, and then for his goal, the. What I love is when you you watch the slow-mo replay, the first touch to win the ball controls the ball to allow him then to be in a position where he can pick his spot and he ends up chipping Tim Cruel. 
Whereas most players, you kind of, you, you, most players put their full foot on it, which then will move the ball further away from from Bruno in this instance, or you know it'll play, play it more towards the goalkeeper, allow the defender to get back in. Whereas here, he controls it. It spins, so it's not that far in front of him. Like, it's just, just a very skillful move. It, yeah. Where, and I was, I sat back and just said, "Wow!" And it seems so daft because it is something so little. But I do really think that is a sign of a really good quality player because in his mind he's thinking about all those things I've just said he knows exactly what he's got to do to make sure it's under his control to give him the best opportunity to score calm collective again I'm running out of words positive words here because we've said everything week in week out I feel like every week we come on this podcast and I just sort of want to win a game that doesn't have any significance to just have a bit of a bad game so that we can just have a week off so from, come down yeah away. so that we can just all put our feet on the floor a bit because everything you've said there's absolutely spot on he gets the ball and he's already two moves ahead the likes of him and Trippier yeah, you can tell when they've got the ball they already know where to go and they know everything and I think if any other Newcastle attacker had been in that position that Bruno's in when Cruel misplaced that pass I think if it's Miggy or Murphy or Joel and even Wilson I think they're trying to put it round him or under him I think only Bruno and that team tries that little dink and I mean it's he's just made Cruel look an absolute fool it's, it's Unbelievable. I, I really hope he runs. To, he's ran over at the Murphy and gone, that's how you do it. Yeah, yeah just put it in the net. <laughs> that's how you chip a keeper. Uh, but yeah, absolutely fantastic. And again, you know, him and Joe Linton have a really good relationship and you could see them at the end wearing the the, the, the hat and the, the Brazilian flag. It was really nice. Um, just a really nice, you know, picture. Nice videos have come out of that. I mean, Newcastle have lost the last three on the road. They've gone to a team fighting for their lives. It ends we've kind of alluded to it there, you know, a lot of teams now would be on the holiday on the beach, you know, Newcastle are pretty much safe. They're not going to go down, are they? But, you know, they just want to win games and they're performing like they've got something to fight for. And yes, some of them have got futures to fight for, but I think it's a bit more than that. They just seem to be enjoying their football and they just want to give something back to the fans as well. I think they're all just absolutely loving playing their football at the minute. I think Shelby came out last week and, and said, something along the lines of I've never known it, you know, the camaraderie within a squad to be this good. And I mean, he's played in some decent squads and he's also played in some decent Newcastle squads. So for him to say that now obviously shows how they're all feeling in the dressing room. But I think even the players that aren't fighting for their future, you know, none of them are on the beach. I think they just want to keep this run going. And as you touched on at the start of the podcast, I think even Liverpool and City in the next two, we don't feel daunted. Yes, they might not win, but you know that will give it a good go. And you can't see at the minute, I mean, I hope I haven't jinxed this, but you can't see a big defeat coming from either. Um, so, yeah, look, long may it last. And if they can just keep this going for the last four games, they give them a huge boost for the summer and then obviously into the next season. Newcastle didn't have it all their own, even though it did finish 3 0. You know, Dowell was very lively, had a, a couple of really good chances it was a brilliant counter-attack and, and, and Dubravka did so well to force Pukki wide and then it, it got uh, pulled back to, to Dowell and he, it was a difficult effort and he put it over the bar before that um, he had a, he had a, another good chance or after that so he had another good chance where he uh, did get the better of Matt Target I think it was and again he just he just put it over he tried to lob him he tried to lob Dubravka and he put it over and then there was a free kick as well um, but you know lots of talk about Newcastle being in the market for a striker. What about Timu Pugi? Because, you know, I, um, I can see your face already now. I've asked that. 
But, you know, I'm just wondering what kind of strike Newcastle United are going to go for. Are they going to go for a big name, a big hitter? Or are they going to go for someone who just fits nicely into the squad and gives another option and, and maybe doesn't expect to play week in, week out? Uh, you know, 10 goals a season in a pretty poor Norwich side. He's got a really good record for Norwich. I know a lot of them goals have been scored in the championship, but we've been told it's going to be, you know, slow and steady rather than splashing the cash. Would Pookie fit the bill for you? You know what, I think if Newcastle hadn't signed Chris Wood in January and they sort of needed a, a backup from that sort of level, then I think Pookie would be quite a good option. Obviously, you know, he isn't the youngest anymore. But I feel like probably when you've got Wilson and Wood in that team next season, is Pookie sort of just, you know, filling a spot you don't really need to fill? I think if, if they do go for a striker this season, surely they'll want a big marquee. I mean, there's going to be clamour for it. I know obviously there's reports that they aren't going to spend too much, but you know they will want a marquee, especially given Wilson's run. But look, I think they can certainly do worse than Puky. I'm just not sure whether it would it would fit there at that time. It's going to be interesting to see who they do sign, whether they do go for another level, and Wilson essentially plays plays backup as well, and Chris Wood, who's played a lot of Premier League football, obviously for Newcastle due to Wilson's injury, but before that at Burnley, is he going to be content sitting on the bench? There's so many interesting uh, avenues that this January transfer window is is going to take but you know, back back to the game we, we saw Joe Linton try and go for his heart rate we saw St Maxman as well try to uh, get a goal he forced a good save out of Tim Tim Cruel how did you think the 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 formation worked for Newcastle on, on Saturday because it was say four changes we had a discussion just before we started recording where I asked you how you thought it was set up up top because at times it looked like St. Maxima, at times it looked like Joe Linton, at times it looked like it was just, right, one of you two, kind of, you've both got a free rule, just make sure someone is in that central position. How did you think it set up and how do you think it worked? Yeah, I mean, like I said to you before we, we came on air, I, I saw that team sheet and imagined that it would be St. Maxima up front and Joe Linton on the left. Then obviously kickoff comes and it looks like Joe Linton's up front for the first 10 minutes. And then, you're 20 minutes in, he's out on the left and St. Max is up front. So if Newcastle had been beaten at the weekend from Norwich and they'd tried that formation, I think you'd be sat here going, well, that's proof that, you know, you can't really change it that much because they need sort of a recognised player. But Joe Linton from the left, I think, works. I'm not sure it works him up front on his own. But I also think on the same level, I think St. Maxman from the left works. But I don't know how I feel about St. Maxwell up front by himself. Because we've seen it sometimes when Howe changes at mid-game and puts him up front on his own. I don't feel like he's as effective. I feel like he's much better picking the ball up deep and running at defenders rather than being the sort of target man. So, yeah, is he just doing that because he's made the changes and he wanted to get a couple of you know games into some players and rest would probably. But I think going forward... If you've got Wilson, Wilson and Wood fit, I think those are the two that you'd need to have up front leading the line rather than rather than one of them two. What does it say to Dwight Gale? I mean, this is a, because we all know he's probably going to go in the summer. But what does it say to to Dwight Gale that at this stage of the season we're just we're just you know changing things up, we're just seeing how things go, and he picks two players who haven't got the best goal scoring record, who are much more comfortable not being that central striker. And yet, you're Dwight Gale, that's where you make your money, that's your bread and butter, and you can't get a look in. 
I thought he was going to start on Saturday. I really did. I thought thought there'd be some changes. Thought Chris Wood would drop out. Got that right. But I honestly thought it would be Gale replacing him. So I was shocked to see that he did drop Wood and didn't use Gale. Ooh, I mean, look, it's that's an indication if ever you've seen him on that. Either he doesn't trust him or you know he isn't he isn't comfortable playing him from the from the start. So it's a shame for Gale because you know he's another one of these honest honest players that we're talking about, but. Looks like the writing could be on the wall for him if he's if he's being sort of like you've said overlooked for two players that aren't really central strikers. Mm. Some stats then: so Newcastle have won four consecutive Premier League games for the first time since April 2018. The Magpies earned their biggest Premier League win since a 4-1 win at Bournemouth in July 2020, when Eddie Howe was, of course, manager of Bournemouth. So they are the two keys. Well, actually, no, the key stat is Aaron that. Newcastle were bottom of the table with no wins from 14 games when Norwich and Newcastle met back in November. No team was ever stood up from that position. At, again, it all. it's absolutely remarkable. And I, I get asked this a lot. Uh, I got asked it at, at a family party on Saturday. What is the reason? Is it because Newcastle just spent a load of money? And it's like, well, actually, no, no. It's that, I mean, that helps. Of course, that helps. But it's because of the way they've the way Eddie Howe has come in and, and he's made the, the, the team fitter, more organised, more of a unit. And yes, of course, having not a blank checkbook, but a large checkbook helps. But I, I do think the majority of it has to go down to Eddie Howe, not not the money spent. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the January window was fantastic and the five they brought in perfectly complemented the team and what they needed. It was an absolutely, you know, grade A window, but Trippier has been out for most of it. Chris Wood hasn't really hit the net. Dan Byrne was really at fault for a couple of the goals that they conceded in those sort of recent away defeats. So I think it's more than that, obviously, since Howes came in, you know, Shelby's improved, Char's improved, Kraft's improved, you know, Miggy's looking good again. It, it, and I think more than that, it's a team spirit and what he's done, you know, the, the money's helped. But I think, as we've touched on earlier in this podcast, the players have, are saying that they've never had it so good. There's clearly that spirit. Howe's been spot on. He's been the perfect antidote to what we had before, both in the dressing room and out of the dressing room with the media. So he deserves huge credit. And, and I truly believe that it's him more than that, you know, 80, 90 million spent a couple of months ago, 100%. He's got to be within the running for the Premier League manager of the year, hasn't he? 100%. If, imagine if we'd sat after the Cambridge game and said Newcastle are going to finish ninth you'd be you'd be laughed out of the room it was it looked like an absolute people thought they were going down and I thought at best it would be 17-16 the run that they've went on is just unbelievable so he's got to be in the run for manager of the year and I wouldn't be surprised if he got it to be honest I think 100% I think it depends largely on what Liverpool managed to do with all the trophies they're, they're in the running for but oh yeah, for me Eddie Howe is, is definitely within the top two managers of the year this season. We'll finish briefly talking about the other side of Merseyside and Everton. Of course, they look in a lot of trouble after their performance against against Liverpool. Burnley obviously won and it left Everton into the relegation zone even before they kicked off against Liverpool. I just want to talk about Jamie Carragher's comments afterwards where he said if Everton went down, there would, there would have been no bigger club to have gone down than Everton Graham Souness came back and said well Newcastle are every bit as big club as Everton and they've gone down twice your thoughts on that? Yeah. Do you care? 
I mean, one, I, I really don't care. I really don't. <laughs> I think the whole debate about which club is bigger is is just tedious because you've always got that bias and it's always subjective. So what's the point in having it? But since since we have to talk about characters, uh, Carragher's comments now, Newcastle are just as big as Everton. Yes, Everton have won a lot of trophies, but I think if you look at you know Everton, as much as I think everyone wants them to go down purely because it would be a seismic thing, I think you've got Newcastle, you've got Villa, you've got Leeds, you've got Forest, you've got big clubs that have gone down before, and I think Everton are no different to that sort of mould. So I think that's Carragher looking through his, his old uh, blue-coloured glasses that he had as a boy more than anything. <laughs> I think Everton is just a, a really good textbook for how not to try and break into that top six. Yeah. You know, they've, they've, they've spent a lot of money, a lot of managers, and it's all gone, well, not very well at all. So, very interesting to see how this fight for survival ends. Thankfully, Newcastle United are no longer in it, and that is down to Eddie Howe. We'll be back later in the week with a preview looking ahead to the game against Liverpool do head over to chroniclelive.co.uk to keep a date with all the latest Newcastle United news and please remember to follow the podcast it's totally free to do through your podcast provider just means with every new episode we upload you get a notification to say it's ready to download or listen to please remember to leave a rating and review to the podcast it means we can get the episodes out to a wider audience thank you very much for tuning in